This episode of the Trek Geeks podcast is brought to you by the Trek Geek Shop. Now you can help support our show and get yourself some cool Star Trek gear at the same time. Check out our line of t-shirts, mugs, hats, and other items for your inner Trek geek at shop.trekgeeks.com. Hi, this is Kat Roberts, Lieutenant Elizabeth Palmer on Star Trek Continues, and you are listening to the Trek Geeks podcast with Bill Smith and Dan Davidson. little show this side of the Alpha Quadrant. Welcome, one and all, to Trek Geeks, a Star Trek podcast. We're so glad you're here. I'm your co-host, Bill Smith, and joining me as he does every single week is a man I would love to maroon on a planet in a duck blind and just leave there forever and ever and ever. I speak, of course, of my largely untalented co-host, the uh, skin-stretching Dan Davidson. Dan, welcome aboard, buddy. Wow. Yeah, at first, with the, with the intro, I thought we were at like a monster truck rally. And then you just went ahead and did what you always do, which made me feel like nothing. So thanks. Good to be here. Sunday, Sunday, <laughs> Sunday. <laughs> it is, actually. It is. Yes. As we, as record. we record. Well, Ooh, well hi, buddy. Thanks for that uh, rousing um, vote of confidence for your podcast partner. I appreciate it. And I'm going to do everything I can to live up to what you just said. Well, okay. So uh, they give awards for participation, so I'll be sure to get one of those for you, buddy. Thanks. Is it going to be a gold star for my forehead? <laughs> yes. <laughs> okay. i got to tell you, I'm excited to talk about today's topic because this is one I've actually been looking forward to for a while. Do you want to uh, give us a little detail as yeah. to what today's topic of conversation might be? Daniel. Absolutely. Thanks, Bill. And I'll preface it with this. We've talked about it for a while. And I'm finding that when we do discuss things like what we're going to talk about today, which is Star Trek Insurrection, I've had this happen over the course of several podcast episodes where we're going to go back and we're going to watch something that I think I'm not going to like and that I remember not liking in the past. But then after rewatching it for the podcast, I really enjoyed it. So it's going to be interesting to talk about this to get our take on it, what we like, what we don't like uh, for what maybe we'll say is one of the top two Next Generation cast movies. Wow. Way wow. to alert everybody to the spoilers. I said maybe. Thank you, everybody, for listening. <laughs> Have a great week. Uh, no. <laughs> I am going to preface that when we talk about it with a couple of yeah buts. <laughs> yeah buts. Is that one word or two? Uh, yes. <laughs> well, one word, two word, 30 words. Dan, why don't you tell our friends and the listening audience how they might be able to send us their words in the form of emails and communication? 
Wow, very nice. Yes, on Twitter, Facebook, and Skype, our handle is Trek Geeks. You can also send us an email at trekgeeks at starfleet.com. Uh, or if you want to call us at 508-784-1701, please do so and leave a voicemail. You can also go to speakpipe.com slash trekgeeks and leave us a message on that medium. Uh, also, you can now join our official Facebook group, Camp Kittimer. Always lots going on there. Good discussion, good back and forth. Bill's always got interesting comments going over there. Uh, you get early access to the Trek Geeks podcast, which has to be some kind of a prize. Uh, so to just join to join the group, just go to facebook.com slash groups slash Camp Kittimer. And Bill, I got to tell you that anybody who uses these messages, comments, or anything it's completely screwed up message, but we're going to use those messages in a future episode. Back to you, Bill. <laughs> Thanks, Dan. Here's hoping they send those messages in English. Lord knows you'll never be able to read them. I'm living up to what you said at the beginning of the show, big guy. <laughs> Somebody needs another pear martini. Well, I'm on it. <laughs> I'm going to surprise you with a topic right now. Okay. And we wanted, I wanted to touch base on this for just a minute. Um, given the timeliness of the situation, we've uh, posted this on social media in a couple of places, and I just wanted to reiterate it today, is that our podcast, Yours and Mine, is a show about one thing and one thing only. And that one thing, Dan, is what? That we will only talk about Star Trek. That's correct. Absolutely. We're not a politics show. We're not a news or current event show. We are none of that. Conversely, um, we want to talk about something that makes us all happy and brings us together as a fandom. And that's something that other fandoms are probably a little jealous of. You know, because we have Trek family all over the world. So that's the focus of our show. It will always be the focus of our show. And we're just glad each and every one of you is here to join us in this trek. Very nice. I could not have said it better myself. It's very, um, it's very disheartening to see a lot of the uh, things going on and discussions being had. And we've made the very um, easy decision, in my opinion, to just stick to Star Trek here. We're not going to bring anything in that is not Star Trek. And we hope that everyone understands and can appreciate it. Uh, and can appreciate it. Uh, we love Star Trek, and we are going to continue doing it regardless of uh, what's going on around us. Here, here. They're there. Once again, it's time to end for the news from our good friends at treknews.net. What the? <laughs> wow. You, but you should use emergency repair procedure number one on oh, all right. Hold on. it machine. That's better. Spanning the Alpha Quadrant for all of the news on Star Trek. It's treknews.net. Dan, we really only have one thing to talk about in the news, and it's uh, it's it's a pretty big deal, I think. It is. It's out of this world when you think about it, right? Ooh, I like what you did there. Yeah, that was good. Yes, as we all know, Star Trek Beyond has been beaming into homes all across the world this past week as it is available to download digitally. It'll be out on some form of CD, DVD, Blu-ray, 4K uh, next month. But uh, in addition to being available here on planet Earth, the movie has been beamed to the International Space Station, and this is the first Star Trek film to ever be viewed off-planet. Wow. That's pretty cool. 
Do you do you think they had any lag? <laughs> <laughs> you think oh, that they had to wait for buffering? <laughs> Would they be sitting there? Oh, that doesn't happen in space. Yeah, right. <laughs> Was it broadcast on subspace? <laughs> oh, good question. Ooh, thank you. Yeah, very nice. So it is kind of cool that the crew of the space station uh, gets to watch Star Trek on the space station, and they're the only humans to ever do something like that. It's very cool. Um, and as a kind of a side thing to this Star Trek Beyond being available digitally, they released some bloopers this week as well. And uh, we love bloopers. And they are pretty good. Chris Pine channeling his inner William Shatner is quite humorous. Uh, the full Shatner. I love it. <laughs> good stuff. That was a good clip. Um, this is not in news, but we should probably wish a happy birthday this past weekend to Scott Bakula. Yes. Of Star Trek Enterprise fame. And now currently on CBS is NCIS New Orleans. He uh, He's one of the nicest people in all of Star Trekdom, and uh, we just hope he had a great day, quite frankly. Unfortunately, I have never had the honor of meeting him. I hope to meet him someday and shake his hand and thank him, and uh, maybe I'll try to get him here on this here podcast. <laughs> yeah. Moving on to our central topic this week, Dan, we're going to talk about a Star Trek film that gets pretty maligned, quite honestly. Mm -hmm. And um, you and I are going to examine whether or not it deserves that reputation here today. And of course, I speak of the second, no, sorry, the third Next Generation film, my Mm -hmm. bad, the second one to feature just them, right? uh, Star Trek Insurrection. Yes. um, Like I said earlier, and thinking back about this film, it's not something that I had a lot of like, oh, I got to watch that again. It's not one that I would stop and watch when I was flipping, if I'm flipping through channels and it happens to be on uh, a station. Um, but we discussed, we wanted to do this episode. So, of course, we go back and, and rewatch. And I was very uh, happily surprised at my thoughts on this after watching it just recently. I got to say. Okay. Uh, I'll accept that as a as a true statement. Thank you for entering that into the record. Thank you. Um, do you remember when the two of us worked together, now going back 20 years or so ago, mm-hmm. maybe a little less, when you were attempting to download the trailer for Star Trek Insurrection over 56K modem? <laughs> <laughs> you were watching that thing for hours. I don't remember that. Hours. So you're That's sitting great. in your cube at work. And every now and then I'd walk by and you go, dude, dude, it's like an hour left on the download. And that was already like you were three hours in. It was only available in quick time. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> and we watched the trailer. Do you remember the first time you saw it? I don't. I don't remember it, actually. You felt like a kid in uh, at Christmas time. Really? Oh, yeah. There were explosions. There was Picard being Picard. How many people does it take, Admiral? <laughs> <laughs> But, uh, you know, we watched it and we're like, oh, let's watch it again. (laughs) Um, On a little side note, I'm going to have to tell my wife that you told the story because I love watching trailers and she doesn't. And maybe that's where it all started. Oh, wow. Yeah. I love trailers. I love checking them out. And and maybe that's when when I got bit by the trailer bug. Interesting. I didn't know that. Yeah. Do Do you remember that the first gift I ever gave you? 
was a signed Star Trek Insurrection poster by Jonathan Frakes. I do not remember that. I think you're lying. No, it's 100% true. Why don't I still know where it is then? I have no idea. Wow, I guess I'm a really great friend then, huh? Wow, maybe I lost it in a flood along with my Christmas ornaments. Oh, wait a minute. That was me. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> I'm uh, sure it's around somewhere. I've been through a few moves since then, so. Ah, a couple. Eh, just What's a couple? couple? Nah, nah. So, you know, we don't necessarily need to run through the plot of this movie. I mean, we're going to assume for the moment that everybody's seen Insurrection. Mm-hmm. It's a movie that's occurred within the last 20 years. 1998. 19, yeah, okay. So, 18 years ago. Yeah. So we're going to assume that everybody understands the basic plot and premise. You know, the insurrection is essentially the crew of the Enterprise rebelling against Starfleet and the Federation Council, which we never see the Federation Council, but we'll talk about that later. So I think one of the things that struck me, just as general observations about this movie, you know, First Contact was this this huge movie. It was incredibly successful. Mm -hmm. People loved it. It set a great tone for the next generation's first movie. And I remember sitting in the theater in Lowell, Massachusetts on opening night for this movie. And I'm like, oh, I can't wait for the opening credits to start. And when the music started, it was very evident from Jerry Goldsmith's opening theme that this movie had a much different tone than the one before it. Yes, I I do remember that as well. More of a, it's not going to be in-your-face action-packed. There's more going to be more drama in this one, I think. That's how I took the music, especially the opening scenes of the village while they were doing the opening credits. Yes, and the first thing you see are a couple of bales of hay and some mm. kids. Yes. And I saw the kids, I'm like, oh. They're dead. Kids, <laughs> kids in Star Trek. Why does it always have to be kids? <laughs> And then later on, we'd find out there were caves. <laughs> because there are always caves in Star Trek, as we've talked about on this here podcast before. That's true. Yeah. When, when you got to the part where they revealed the duck blind, what was your reaction? I, you're asking me for my reaction from 20 years ago or when in I watched? General, in general. I like it. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's 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 deceptive. It's uh, it's I don't know. It, it's it's hard to put into words. What are your thoughts on it? My thought was, didn't we already do this in Star Trek and it went wrong before? Where and who who watches the Watchers? Oh yes. Um, oh, you were talking about a specific episode. Yeah, just I in you were general about a movie. Yes, um, just in general. I think I liked it more. I didn't. I'm, I'm not a big fan of that episode. Um, I like it, but I don't love it. But this was kind of cool in that, you know, because of Data's malfunction, he's pretty much putting everybody out there to dry, and it's kind of something that you're not expecting. That's 100% true. Yeah. And my problem with the duck blind is that not only have we used it before, and we acknowledged in that episode that it probably wasn't the best tactic, we're still doing it. <laughs> <laughs> yep. did, we, did we learn nothing? Uh, evidently not. <laughs> And here's the other thing I want to know. If we're observing the, uh, the Baku on the planet there, why do people have sidearms inside their invisible suits? How the hell are they going to use the sidearm? That's for protection only. <laughs> uh, well, isn't it also like kind of like cloaked if they're still holding on to it? <laughs> if it's in their suit. <laughs> yeah. 
Yes. Otherwise, That's they're going to take it out of their suit, and it's going to be this phaser floating around floating in around. the air firing. <laughs> That's a very good... You know, I've never actually thought of that. That's a great point. That's pretty hysterical. The whole movie doesn't work now. Okay, thanks for coming. <laughs> See you next week, everybody. <laughs> episode whatever number it is and I, I did find it interesting one of the things that's funny about that scene is when of course data's floating head is 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 kind of funny in itself but when he flips the guy over his shoulder and his suit rips that's all it takes for the suit to show ever to show the person as if it rips open halfway yeah i thought that was kind of funny i thought that there were some really good practical effects in that scene yes you know from yeah, you know, the uh, the phaser blast to the invisible people pop, you know, falling in the water and mm-hmm. and you know flailing about. I thought that looked pretty cool. Yeah. It was easy to see why the Baku were freaked out. Yes, honestly, because all this invisible stuff is happening. <laughs> one of the things I like about it's funny. One of the one of my highest likes of this movie is that first scene. I really like the first scene, the way that it's handled. I think that it's I think it's really cool when they're watching uh, from up top and you see a little square of where this of where the Starfleet personnel are and you can see them in red, but as soon as they walk out of that square, they're not there. I thought that was really cool. I've always liked that scene. But one of the things that I found funniest about that scene is after Data shoots I think it's a sona weapon. It doesn't look like a standard phaser to me. Right. Um and he uh he he shoots the holographic projection and so forth. I'll tell you what, when everybody stands up and is kind of looking down at him, that looks a lot smaller than it does at the beginning when they're inside with all of the uh, technology in there. It looks like a little closet that they're standing in. Oh, I agree. <laughs> I thought that it was quite like, funny. Yeah. I, I look at that the first time, like, how do they get all those people and equipment in there? <laughs> what I really want to know is how do they get all that equipment there without the Baku like noticing, waking up? Maybe they, they beamed them into the hollow ship uh, that night. You know, don't get me started on the hollow <laughs> ship. That, that's a separate topic coming okay. up. But All right. Can I just say that that whole exterior set of the Baku village is just breathtaking? It is. It's it's breathtaking. It's beautiful. And the the one scene, my favorite visual scene in terms of real visuals, not special effects, of this entire movie is when they are standing at the lake before they find the hollow the hollow ship that vista of the mountains with the water is absolutely unbelievable to me i love it it's a uh, yes i agree with you and there's another great shot in that sequence of data opening the floodgate mm-hmm. just the angle and the action it's just it's it's very cool it's a great shot that yep. uh that that frakes ordered up there because of course he directed this movie the yes. second in a row absolutely Who's the other person to direct two in a row of Star Trek movies there, mister? Uh, that would be the one and only Leonard Nimoy. All right, just making sure. See, those things I know. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so i got a question for you. Okay. So Jean-Luc Picard uh, holds what position aboard the Enterprise-E? Captain. Okay. So he pretty much generally knows everything that's going on on that ship. Fair statement? I would, I would hope so. Then how did he not know that Worf was aboard? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Worf. What are you doing here? <laughs> You're the captain, don't you know? It didn't maybe he didn't get the, the duty roster shift change pad yet. He was still at Deep Space Nine because Picard references that. No, no, I mean maybe he just got there and he hadn't gotten the note that he was gonna be arriving. He's the captain. He was getting ready for the dance with the blueberry from <laughs> Willy Wonka. <laughs> Eugene Chiffal. 
Regent Cusack, I believe we have a dance later. I look forward to it. <laughs> that was that sounded like Peter Griffin <laughs> doing the alien. Wow. I'll take that as a compliment. I look forward to it. <laughs> uh, the other thing, okay, I have to say, I love Anthony Zerba. Yes. He is fantastic. He is not fantastic in this movie. He has zero energy. Nope. I do not like him in this role. Uh, I made fun of his dowerty out last week when we were teasing this episode. Um, I, it's interesting that he was chosen for this role because one of the little tidbits I was going to throw in later, but I'll throw it in now since we're talking yeah. about him, is he actually auditioned for the part of Wafo. What? Yes. And he was considered the front runner until they decided to give it to F. Murray Abraham without him even having to audition. Well, he shouldn't have had to because, one, he's F. Murray Abraham. Well, yes. And two, in this movie, he is just amazing. Yes. He is an adversary worthy of Jean-Luc Picard in this movie. He's, he's phenomenal. The only thing that I would say with regards to this villain, and we're going to get into this later, is to me... This isn't a motion picture villain. It's a good villain, but not one. It's certainly not a con or a con if you're looking at Into Darkness or a uh, um, crawl or anything like that. Um, He's a good, he's a great uh, character, but I'm just not sure he was one of the super villains that we expect to see in Star Trek motion pictures. Well, but I think that's okay because the movie before. We had the ultimate supervillain in next gen history with the Borg. The Borg, and then they introduced a Borg queen. Mm -hmm. So I think it's kind of good that you know this is a guy who had some ulterior motives and wasn't necessarily a colossal big bad, but he clearly was not a good guy. Oh, not a good guy at all. Uh, And we'll get into that a little bit, I think, also later. But uh, it it just he just. he wasn't a he wasn't a villain that I guess maybe it was a letdown from what we did see from the previous movie. Maybe that's the way I've looked at it and when I when I compare him to other villains. I mean, we got the ultimate like you said in The Borg Queen and that was an amazing movie, a lot of action, and this kind of seemed like a watered down villain, which maybe was just a letdown. I don't know. That's yeah. fair. Okay. Um I want to talk a little bit about the um the effects in this movie. Oh, baby. Um Really? Yes. That sounds like you think they're great. I love the special effects in this movie. Absolutely think they are beautiful. The Briar Patch is one of the finest space special effects I've ever seen on film. To me, when the Enterprise is coming through it for the first time and the the light is behind them and you see the shadow of the ship as it's going through the beginning of the patch, it's just remarkable for me. I'll buy that. For a good chunk of the rest of the movie, though, the CGI does not hold up. See, I, I, don't, I don't necessarily agree. I think that the space battles with the Sona ships are, are very well done. With the um, ram scoop and uh, all of that stuff, I guess maybe it's just the briar patch parts that I'm talking about. Um, I think that I can see what you're saying with regards to some of the effects, like when, the, um, when Worf and Picard are chasing Data in the shuttles. That whole sequence, the CGI is terrible. Mm-hmm. It almost looks cartoonish. Yep. That I would agree with. I think I'm speaking specifically towards the Briar Patch space battles. Okay. That I That's love. That's fair. I think that 
the um, the effects later on, closer to the planet where the Enterprise is flying over the the collector ship, and you know, there's that whole effect of the uh, collector in the simulation destroying the rings. I don't think that any of that holds up at all. I just think it it, it doesn't look nearly as good as it ought to. And maybe it's because I'm watching it on Blu-ray now, 18 years later. Oh, good point. Yeah. But you know, it, it didn't look bad in theaters back in the day, but nowadays compared to what we see, if I look at, you know, some of the the CGI for movies that don't take place in space, mm-hmm. uh, it's to me it's almost night and day. Okay. One of the things that I also liked we, uh, in regard to the space battles is the Sona ships. I think I may have mentioned this to you once before. They remind me so much of the Breen starships from Deep Space Nine backwards. The Sona ships are horseshoed to the back, where the Breens are horseshoed to the front. I think that was kind of, I really like that. And the one scene where one of the Sona ships explodes and part of it slices through one of those horseshoe sides of the other Sona ship, I really, that brought me back to the Deep Space Nine space battles that I love so much. I can see that. I agree with that 100%. Cool. Um, going back to the, uh, you mentioned the Wharf and Picard trying to deactivate data scene. Can I tell you that the spinning with both shuttles was very distracting? It was distracting, it and I don't think it was realistic. Oh, especially when they're showing the camera spinning on the inside, too. <laughs> yeah. I, I was like, oh, really? Yeah. This yeah. this is terrible. It, it's it, To me, it was a questionable decision in the direction and it's probably one of the few th- things I would fault Frakes for in this movie. Interesting. Okay. I did the one scene that didn't that that's not the thing I think of when I think of that scene. What I think of is of course they pull up at just the right moment <laughs> and then for some reason a whole bunch of dirt gets thrown on the camera as the shuttle flies by. <laughs> yeah. Well, because they almost hit the ground, you know. Well, I know, but they, they they didn't and the the grass and everything was was blowing as it flew by, but then all of a sudden as they're pulling up, so they're further away from the ground than they were a, a second ago, there's dirt flying up. I just, that's just never, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> that's just I, me. Uh, this, that scene also makes me think of um, a, a problem I have with a lot of Star Trek when it tries to force humor. Mm-hmm. And that scene certainly does with the Gilbert and Sullivan song. And I think that this, this is a recurring theme throughout Insurrection. There are many moments they try to make funny, and I don't think they work as well as maybe they ought to if they just happen sort of naturally. You know what I mean? Tell me about one off the top of your head. (laughs) (laughs) Just one? Sure. Um, I'll give you two. How's that? I'm feeling magnanimous. Okay. Uh, The first one is the gorge. (laughs) That's what I was thinking you were going to say. It is a gorge. (laughs) And the second one is... Smooth as an android's bottom, eh, Data? <laughs> we know each other too well, man. Yeah, yeah. Well, that and a British tar. Yes. Prepare the talking claps. <laughs> okay. Sing, Wolf. <laughs> sing. No. And then no. he sings, and he knows the words. <laughs> I am not familiar with the latest duty roster. Yeah, Gilbert and Sullivan aren't on it, buddy, let me tell you. <laughs> yeah, um, that is one of the things that I wrote as my dislikes. The attempts at humor can make me as a viewer actually feel a little uncomfortable. I don't know if that's the right words to use, but I'm like, oh God, you know, yeah. it's, just, it's, it's, it's no, don't, don't try to be like that. Yeah. I want to, I want to talk about the hollow ship for a minute. Oh boy. Um, 
so the hollow ship is obviously of Federation origin. Fair statement? Yes, and they actually say that, yep. Why does it have a cloaking device? Isn't that outlawed by the Treaty of Algeron? That's one of my points. Good. You're good, man. Yes, that, and it looks Borgish to me. Oh, it's, because it's boxy? Yeah. Yep. Okay. Yep. So, but you're absolutely right. Why does the Federation have a cloaking device on this ship when they had to fight tooth and nail to get one on the Defiant? Why does the Federation have a ship that can pluck an entire colony out of existence and move them somewhere else and they have no idea? I think it's one of the mistakes of this movie, which is a major mistake. And that's the plot doesn't make sense. Why are they doing? Why are they acting like they're following the Prime Directive with the whole um, uh, duck uh, duck blind? Yep. Um, and then you find out that the Prime Directive doesn't count for these people because they're not indigenous to the planet. Okay, so why were you acting like that? And is this whole thing a secret? Um, but the Federation Council says it's okay. So who said it was all right to build this ship and have it, it, There's so many questions that don't make sense. If you're going to sit and dissect it for two hours of an, of a, of a Star Trek movie, you're not going to think about stuff like that. But after the fact, there's a lot of questions in this movie that don't make sense. Yeah. For me, this is one of the huge flaws in the movie. I mean, let's forget the fact for a moment that every colony that gets established outside of earth seems to want nothing to do with technology. Mm-hmm. It's like, oh, we're here, colony. We're going to raise this land with our own hands, you know, and we're going to build a, a a water delivery system and an irrigation. And no, no, we don't have electricity. We we work by fire <laughs> and and all that stuff. And it, I don't know why that is. It seems like the only colonies that use technology are those created from crashed vessels. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> right? Yes, you're absolutely right. Wow. Good point. Very good point. One of the things that bothers me the most about this movie isn't even from this movie. What? what uh, I don't get it. What's yeah, well, up with I'm that? Gonna, I'm going to tell you. In Nemesis, uh, Captain Picard is sitting in his quarters and he gets a communique and it's Admiral Janeway. Don't yes. even get me started on the Admiral Janeway kick to the groin. We'll get to that some other time. I'll kick you in the groin. Yeah. <laughs> but Admiral Janeway says to Picard... The Sona, the Borg, the Romulans, you seem to get all the easy assignments. And of course, she's saying it tongue in cheek. But the Sona, the major enemy, I, I'm sorry, no, they're not. This was, this was a very isolated incident. There were 600 people that they were trying to move off this planet. They had five ships, maybe, that we knew of. The, uh, they were not as... as big and bad as they were made out to be. And if anything, this was nothing more than a Hatfields and the McCoys uh, battle that Starfleet got involved in. Oh, I agree with that. But the problem is that she named the Sona when she should have named the Federation Council because that's who authorized <laughs> yes. the Sona to go after the Fountain of Youth right. and move the Baku. Mm-hmm. Oh, she wouldn't do that. She's Admiral Janeway. <laughs> And uh, well, I'm going to lay the blame on that solely with Michael Piller, unfortunately. Mm-hmm. But, um, did, now, you were telling me earlier this week, isn't there a new book about insurrection out? Yes. Um, I'm going to have to try to find the link. We'll try to put it up on the Camp Kittimer page. Something just came out um, recently. They found a book 
or or something that he wrote before he unfortunately passed away, and it's something that he wrote during the production of Star Trek Insurrection. I don't have a lot of details on it, and we'll try to get that information out for the listeners, but uh, um, it, I'm very interested to see if what he said is good or bad in terms of what he was seeing during this production. That's really interesting. Yeah, I'll see if I can track it down. Maybe before the uh, before we end tonight's episode, if I can type quietly. But uh, you know that that usually doesn't happen. <laughs> no, <laughs> no. I have a few random observations that I'm going to kind of give you rapid fire. Okay. Because they don't they aren't big points, but they're ones I wanted to be sure to get out. Uh, the first of which is when did Picard become a hoarder of pads? <laughs> In three different scenes in this movie, he's got a stack of them on his desk. It's like, dude, you know, science could use a couple of those. That's it. That's where the <laughs> transfer order from Worf was. He just hadn't gotten to it yet. <laughs> and then um, when did Data's on switch move? Uh, when were you able to turn Data off remotely? <laughs> uh, well, yeah, but back aboard the Enterprise, Jordy touches him on the back of the head and he boots up. <laughs> Instead of on the side under the Instead rib. Instead of on the side. Yeah. He's oh. um, a floater. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, the hollow ship. So Picard and Data and Anij go to the hollow ship and one of the Sona henchmen starts firing on them. Yes. They stun him. He falls to the ground from the roof that he's on. Yes. They end program on the hollow ship. Where did the Sona guy go? <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> you know what I find about that scene that's funny is he starts firing at, at our friends, and she falls out into the water. And they're still fighting for like a good two or three minutes, but she can't swim. <laughs> oh, she doesn't fall. She's pushed. Well, pushed, yes, but she's in the water. Yeah. Um, but it's like two or three minutes before they realize that she can't swim, and so they both dive in after her, which I thought was funny. That's another one of those poor tense of humor is the flotation device. That's what I, I was just going to say that, yeah. you know, uh, okay. It, it's designed to get a yuck. Yeah. I get it. Yuck. Um, but there's a lot of yuck with that. Yeah. A lot of general. yuck. And I just have to say, because we just brought her up on Can I just say that I love Donna Murphy and I always have. Yes. Another interesting behind the scenes tidbit in regards oh, yeah. to Donna Murphy. Hit me. She was one of about 80 people who auditioned for the role of Anish and she got it. She just has this presence. She's great. And, you know, when she's walking through the village in that first scene, you can't help but be drawn to her already. Mm -hmm. And I think that that is a great uh, precursor for how Picard is drawn to her. Yes. And the scenes that they have when they're walking around the village at night, uh, it's one of the best scenes in the movie, quite honestly, Mm -hmm. because there is undoubtedly a chemistry between Donna Murphy and Patrick Stewart, and it plays really well in the scene. That could be a good um, uh, novel if Picard goes back there at some point and develops a relationship with her. Because that's the first thing I think of when he leaves and says he has 318 days of shore leave accumulated and he's going to use them. That would be a great story, I think. He's a starship captain. He's not going to use them. He's never going to use them. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Speaking um, of speaking yeah, of Anish, one of the things that I would point out, you you brought it up at the very beginning, kids in the movie. Yeah. If it wasn't for that kid going back to find that naked mole rat, she wouldn't have almost died. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, really? You're going to go back after that thing? You've only picked it up two days ago. You couldn't have been too attached to it. <laughs> All right. Here's what I want to know. How can she stop time? Yes. Yes. And then how could Picard do it? It's hey, it's Star Trek. 
I just I I I I thought that was an, an aspect they should have told us more about because that's the most interesting aspect. But only stop time for certain things. There were other right. things going on around them that were at the regular flow of time. Because he loves her. That's so nice. I do like the hummingbird though. That was kind of cool. That that CGI didn't really hold up for me. I like it. it was cute. But I thought th- I think that scene is really good because Picard's like, "Whoa, hey, <laughs> wait a second. What are you doing?" <laughs> What the? Oh, that's he's good. <laughs> You're welcome. Uh, very good. That's, a, that's actually how it happened in the movie. Believe it or not. Okay. Um, I like, I, that was that was very well reenacted. Thank you. I have to say that I think that one of the best scenes in the film in general is the scene where Jordy is is watching the sunrise. Oh, yes. It's the best thing they give to LeVar this entire movie. Mm-hmm. And it's a great moment for both the actor and the character, especially when you look and you see Jordy's regenerated eyes welling up with tears. Yes, I was just going to say that. When I watched it, I'm like, oh my God, this is so great. We get to see his eyes for the first time ever. And they're welling up with tears because he's so happy that he can see the sunset. Beautiful is, scene. Yeah. It's a it's it's a phenomenal scene and so much better than you know when he could see in um was it hide and cue? Yes, I believe so. Um oh, that's right. we did see his eyes then, didn't we? Yep. We did. Because Q wanted to give him his sight back that's and right. Jordy didn't like whom he'd have to think. That's right. Um it's probably one of my favorite scenes in the whole movie. And it's just LeVar and it's just Patrick and it plays so well. And they, after they have their quick discussion, they just stand there and watch the sunrise together. It's perfect. Perfect scene. And you get the sense that Picard is, you know, a little emotional over it too and that he gets to share it with Jordy. Mm-hmm. You know, yep. I think it's a great moment, not only for Jordy, but for both of them. So. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, can I ask you a question about something you haven't brought up yet? Oh, which I'm yeah, sure, sure you have a lot to talk about. Oh, sure. How do you like that joystick? <laughs> oh, boy. You had to go and bring up the manual steering column or yes. whatever it's called. Uh-huh. I, I, I've been saving it for you, man, because I know that you just want to talk about that one. Can I just say it takes away from the whole battle with the Sona? Hmm. I will agree with you there. The, the visual effect of the battle is great, but that is just corny. And what makes it cornier is as soon as that, that joystick rises from the floor, Riker takes you know the joystick and you see the, the shot start to tilt and he and the, the trill officer still at, uh, at ops both lean in the same direction. It's like, oh, come on. It looks okay when you're sitting down. What happened to those inertial please. dampers? Right. <laughs> it right. was... You know, I bet at the at the first time we see it, we're like, "Oh my god, that's great!" But now it's just campy. Uh, you know, I get the sense in in watching those scenes that the Trill officer is really kind of hot for Riker. Oh, absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> I have that in like, my dude. You're taking on my notes. <laughs> he's like, "I'm through running from these bastards," and she's like, "Uh uh-huh. Looking at him like, "Oh yeah, <laughs> right." I want the full Riker. <laughs> Jeez. Wow. To quote mission log. Okay. That's uh okay. Yeah, she and she, she she's very attractive too. Yeah. Well, <laughs> I didn't notice she was trill until watching it just the other day. Really? Yeah. I know that's one of the things I said I loved I'll go on my, off my little tangent right now. Some of the things I loved about this movie was the continuity that they had, but not from next generation. They had 
the Trill Helmsman. I thought that was great that they had a Trill from Deep Space Nine reference, of course, and that they had continual references to the Dominion and also brought in the Borg and also the Cardassians, which I thought was great. Uh, I really like that. Next Generation tie, I like that they also brought Mr. Daniels back, who we saw in First Contact. Uh, I thought that was really cool. But yes, having a Trill uh, Helmsman was very cool for this. I liked it a lot. There, there are a few things with data that I don't think play well in this movie. Uh, and the Gilbert and Sullivan scene is not among them. Okay. There are other things. The first of which is data, not understanding why the kid is afraid of him. Yeah. Um, cause it comes across really weird and I don't think that scene plays well at all. Mm hmm. You know, he is essentially to that kid the equivalent of Frankenstein's monster. Well, not only that, he tried to kill him a couple days previous. Yeah. Or not him, not not them specifically, but he was firing weapons in their general vicinity. So Right. Uh, yeah. The other thing with Data that really bugs me in this movie is that he doesn't have his emotion chip in. It's It's stated very blatantly early on. Mm-hmm. But yet Data really cares what this kid, Artem, thinks of him. Right. I'm sorry, but that's an emotion. He also smirks at Riker. Mm-hmm. With the uh, smooth as an android's bottom, eh, Data? So some continuity issues there. Mm-hmm. Um, but it just, it's, you know, for a movie that so centrally focuses on actions that Data takes, I feel like there's a lot they didn't quite get right there. Interesting. I like that. I like that. Uh, I haven't really thought of that before, but you're right. I thought of the smirk. I, that was the only thing I really thought of was, okay, why is he smirking? He doesn't have an emotion chip in, but uh, it's much deeper than that with what you're bringing out. So that's very cool. I do have to say that on the other side of things, when we're talking about characters. I do have to say I love the playfulness between Will and Deanna after all of these years. Mm-hmm. It's like a bit of payoff. And they are very they, they their chemistry is very good in those scenes. Yeah. Yeah. I like that. I like that. One as of well. my favorite lines that Deanna has, you know, when she and Will are, are sort of flirting about in her office. And Deanna's like, on this ship, anything's possible. Mm-hmm. And man, how true that is over <laughs> fifty years, right? Absolutely. Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Uh one of the things that I liked a lot about this movie is the quote-unquote Star Trek aspect of the movie itself. They take something that is real life and they make it a major part of the message they're trying to send. And that's the relocation of people from their home for, quote, the greater good. And yet, after centuries, people still haven't learned. No, they really haven't. Yeah. I thought that was that whole aspect was a very touching aspect. It made me think of George Takei, to be honest with you. Oh, sure. Yeah. Understandably so. Yep. I, um, I'm going to talk a little bit about that later when we talk about uh, the things we specifically liked and disliked about okay. the movie. And uh, I'll let you know which side of the fence I fall on with that. Okay. Um, let me ask you this. Okay. We've seen a lot of ships in Star Trek. We've seen a lot of bridges in Star Trek. Have you ever seen one before that has a command love seat? <laughs> With something that looks like Garrick might have worn yeah. as the upholstery. <laughs> what is that? I think it's just another one of those weird aspects of the Sona that I don't 
really like. We don't know really anything about them except that a hundred years ago they were Baku. Um, where did they get their technology that they wanted to? They wanted to go with the offworlders and develop technology. That's that's some pretty advanced technology after a hundred years. Um, although you could say that maybe that's what they had before they gave up technology. Um, but yeah, that couch is not technologically advanced in any way, shape, or form. <laughs> <laughs> I bet it was damn comfortable, though. <laughs> and it's 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 so out of place in a very metal, clunky, square-looking bridge. Very utilitarian. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's, and yet, that's there's so this funny. one thing where the captain of the ship can stretch out and snooze. <laughs> stretch really out. To. That's funny. Hey, you're welcome. Yeah. That okay? Can we get on that for a second? Yeah. Go ahead. The, the two th- I'm going to bring up Adam, two things about Admiral Dougherty. One of them I'll bring up first is his death scene. Totally horrible special effects. Yeah, I think, and a very empty and okay. That's the climactic scene with the admiral getting his due is having his face stretched so he dies. I just don't buy that scene at all. I thought it was one of the worst scenes of the film. I think. I, I would agree with you there. I was uh, having a Facebook chat session with somebody the other day, and they pointed out to me that um, it's the second time a character of Anthony Zerba's head essentially explodes in a film. <laughs> What's the first one? Uh, it's one of the Bond movies. I believe it's uh, License to Kill. Oh, that's right. He, yes, absolutely. Yeah. That's, I forgot about that he's in that. He's actually good in that one. He is. Yeah. Yep, that's a great part of it. Absolutely right. Um, the, the other thing about Admiral Dougherty that I don't like in this movie is that we've we've had too many bad admirals in Star Trek. Was that a fair statement? Yeah. And it's it's to the point where with this one, all it reminded me of as I was watching it recently was it's the mole at CTU problem that we saw every season on 24. You're yep. expecting that there's going to be a bad admiral. I mean, we just saw it recently in the latest uh, in, in Into Darkness. Rather, we saw the bad admiral. I mean, it's 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 all it's all the time. Cartwright, this, that, and the other thing. It's it's time to you know come up with a better idea. I think there's always bad admirals in the <laughs> Very always. nice. You there's and your caves, puns. There's bad admirals and there's kids. <laughs> yeah, the kids. So my last point before we move on to um, you know the uh, the sort of bulletized points of. What we really liked and disliked about the movie is this. So seven years we spent with these, these crew members on television. We've been through two films with them up to this point. We get halfway through this film, and how is it we are just finding out now that Picard loves Mambo? I mean, he goes into the holodeck, plays Dixon Hill, no Mambo. He rides horses, no Mambo. We have to get through two and a half movies to watch Patrick Stewart lay down some moves. And almost fall. And almost fall. (laughs) And perform one of the most awkward turns I've ever seen to find out that he loves him some Mambo. Mambo loves Mambo. (laughs) (laughs) Mambo number five. That's one of those, I don't know if you want to classify that as humor, but it's one of those awkward moments in this movie. Well, Beverly makes a, a brief mention of it earlier when they talk about him dancing mm-hmm. with the uh, the regent, you know, yes. and Mambo comes up and Beverly says, you know, the captain used to cut quite a rug back in his day. Right. So, I mean, they, they essentially place that on the table for you. It's a little bit of Chekhov's gun right there, but to a much lesser degree. And then Picard actually uses the Mambo. 
Wow. Very bizarre. Very bizarre, but not as bizarre as your boobs firming up. Uh, whoa. It yeah. just took a turn. It, it did, because that's another one of the awkward moments that we're, since we're on that topic. That just oh, you didn't mean my, me. Okay. No, no. Well, I haven't seen you in a while. So. <laughs> I haven't seen you since Vegas. So, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but yeah, another one of those awkward moments in the movie where it's like, eh, uh, mm, nah, nah. They tried to be cute. I get it. Yeah. It, it just fell flat. Yeah. <laughs> that's good, too. That was totally unintentional. <laughs> Okay, so, how you doing? <laughs> Mr. Wolf, do you know Gilbert and Sullivan? No, sir. I have not had a chance to meet all the new crew members since I have been back. They're composers, Wolf. From the 19th century. Data was rehearsing a production of HMS Pinafore just before he left. A British tar is a soaring soul, as free as a mountain bird. His energetic fist should be ready to resist a dictatorial word. Sing, Wolf, sing. His nose should pant. And his lips should curl. His cheeks should flame. And his brow should furl. His bosom should heave. And his heart should glow. And his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. His nose should pant, and his lips should curl, his cheek should flame, and his brow should whirl, his bosom should heave, and his heart should glow, and his fist be ever ready for a knockdown blow. Prepare the talking claps. His eye should flash with an inborn fire, his brow with scorn be wrong. He never should bow down to a domineering frown, or the tang of a tired tongue. His heart should stump, and his throat should growl. His hair should curl, and his face should scowl. His eyes should flash, and his breast protrude. And this should be his customary attitude. So, Dan, looking forward, we usually talk about some of the aspects that we really liked and disliked on a film before we kind of pass judgment on it. So, instead of starting with what we liked first, let's talk about what really didn't work for us so much, because I think I'd, I'd like to end this one on a positive note. Okay. And uh, do you want to go first? Sure. Yeah. Uh, you know what I thought was the worst thing of this movie what's up the ending really I in what will, sense i will we already talked about how weak the cgi looked with the enterprise flying near the collector ship why did they have to wait so long to beam the captain up they beam people to planet surfaces thousands of kilometers or however far away why did they have to wait till the very last second to beam him up they gave no mention that there was any type of transporter inhibitor going on in that collector so that really bothers me well that's a really great point i never thought about that before but as you say that i'm like well yeah they could have beamed him up and they still have photon torpedoes last i checked or even quantum torpedoes couldn't they just Shoot the ship? Yeah. I, it, they made, of course, it's the big drama, the climax of the film. They're going to rescue the main character. It just does not work for me because it's so. there are so many other things that they could have done well before the final seconds, before the main explosion hits where, they're, where Picard and Waffle are. And it just, for me, it makes it completely wrong. That's a, that's a really great point. I never thought of that. Well, I'm here to help. Wow, great job. <laughs> what uh, what else you got for me? 
Um, we talked a lot about the, uh, uh, the, the awkward moments. Um, the caves is another thing. I think this movie could have been 10 to 15 minutes shorter if it weren't for showing all the people walking in single file lines up the hill and then into the caves and hiding behind the rocks. And it seemed like filler uh, at, at several points of the movie, which it made it drag a little bit. Okay, that's yeah. fair. Yeah. How about you? I, um, I've got a couple, and, and the first of which really kind of dovetails on one of your points that you just made, and that's the story. The story on this is not strong. Not for a feature film. Mm -hmm. And I think, honestly, it's half an hour too long. They could easily cut out half an hour from this movie and I think have a more focused and well-playing story. There's just a lot of extraneous stuff. There's a lot of forced comedy. There's a lot of things that just don't propel Mm -hmm. the plot forward. I agree with that. Um, Also, I have to say in this movie, I don't like Data. I think he's written completely wrong. And that kills me to say because Michael Piller was an awesome writer. But I think in this film, he gets Data totally wrong from the get-go. Okay. There are some great moments with Data, but overall, it's almost like they forgot where Data had progressed to as a character up until this point and took him back to season three of Next Gen. Interesting. Do you know that they there was actually a right one of the one of the first drafts of this movie? Picard was going to kill Data and then bring him back for the final scene. No. Yeah, I read that very recently um, somewhere. I'm trying to find it right now. I can't find it again. But I was like, really, very interesting. If that would have happened, but of course we I all know. I would have liked that even less because it would have been a little too Star Trek two like. Exactly. Yep. Exactly. And then my sister wouldn't have had anything to complain about in the next movie. <laughs> now, do you think your sister thinks that Anthony Zerba is Alex Trebek? <laughs> so, no, she thinks that Alex Trebek is one of the Sona in all the stretchy skin. What? <laughs> Which I'm thinking about when I was watching it recently. They're all the the female people working on the him when they're taking his face stretching classes not all. or whatever. No, not oh, all. Oh, no, that's right. There was one of them was taking uh, the toxin out of his neck and everything. That's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And that guy's been in other Star Trek before. Yes. Uh, I can't recall right now who, but I remember seeing him before. Yeah. I mean, you can see him and go, oh, yeah, I've seen that guy. Right. I couldn't tell you his name to save my life right now. Speaking of which, I want to build off what you were just talking about, about the story being weak. The poster for this movie. Yeah. Is the tagline is, the battle for paradise has begun. Yes. It makes it sound a lot bigger than it really is. The other thing that's funny about this poster, and tell me if you agree, is it has the Enterprise flying over a planet, and there's the shape of a Sona face above the Enterprise. To me, that face does not look like Ruafo. It looks like Golna, the second in command, more than F. Murray Abraham. It could could just be me, but um, I find that interesting. I I find that interesting, too. I never really thought about it. Mm Mm-hmm. Because to me, it was a little too much like one of the Star Trek Six: The Undiscovered Country teaser posters. Yes. You know, you get that same shot of, or for the Insurrection poster, it looks like the same shot of the Enterprise from the first Contact poster mm-hmm. flying towards something else. It's like, well, way to go, guys. That, that was really creative. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? I do. What else was your uh, big detractor? Uh, Admiral Dougherty. Yeah. Because not only is it the the whole bad moral trope that we get, but 
he just he wasn't effective. There was no reason for him to give the Sona as much support as there was. None. And he gets no redemption. None. None. This at character all. is empty. So and boring. Just, it's and monotone boring. the whole time. Yeah. You know, he he doesn't really add anything to the plot because it could have easily just as been a, a message over subspace from some other admiral at headquarters. Mm-hmm. You know, he doesn't he doesn't have a an an aura of command about him. I didn't think. No. You know, he's telling people, "All right, leave the briar patch. Do this. Do that." Nobody listens to him. What the Sona don't listen to him? Yeah, it's like you and me. It's, yeah. yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> well, okay. Now let's take a look at the other side of this coin. So, what do you really like about this movie? Because you know there are things to like about Insurrection. There's nothing that makes me want to cheer up and down, jump up and down. I like the uh, I like the the special effects in the Briar Patch. I like the it's well it's I guess, this is kind of corny. It's Star Trek, so there's always a positive aspect, no matter how weak the plot or the story are. It's something that we're going to enjoy. Um, but it's not. This is what I said at the beginning of the podcast. It isn't the best. It's the second best of the next generation movies. And that's not saying a lot because it's not out of this world awesome. No, it's not. It's not close to first contact. It's not as dismally bad as Generations and Nemesis. So it's kind of it's kind of just like floating out there by itself, kind of like the planet in the Briar Patch. Whoa, very interesting there. Yeah. Um, I, I think that my, uh, or sorry, are you you done with positives? I, I'm I'm trying to think of a couple. Go ahead and give a couple of, you, of your thoughts, and I'll see if anything else pops into my head because I'm looking through my notes of of what we've already discussed, and it might be repeating myself. But I'll take a quick look. I think that my positives. Uh, I think one of them might surprise you a little bit, and I think that for me, the overwhelming positive aspect of this is Picard himself. Because this is the Jean-Luc Picard that we've known for seven seasons and two movies. He is the Picard that has grown up until this point. And honestly, I think that Pillar treated this character better than he treated any of the others in this movie. Because we get a Picard that not only does the right thing, but he does it the right way. And he learns something about himself in this process. So I think that this treatment of Picard in this movie is far better than it was in Generations and maybe even a little better than First Contact. Because I was, there were things yep. we learned about Picard in First Contact that made us go, what? Yeah, yeah I agree with that. I, this, I was going to say First Contact is even more so. This, this version of Picard that we see is true to everything that has happened in the series before. You know, we would want Jean-Luc Picard to take a stand here. We would want Jean-Luc Picard to tell Starfleet to you know, jump off a cliff because these people needed to be saved. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he draws that line in the sand. You know, he's got the best line in the whole movie for two movies in a row. You know, when first contact, it was this far, no further. And in this movie, it's how many people does it take Admiral before it becomes wrong? Right. A thousand, 50,000, a million. How many does it take, Admiral? You know, and that's, that is Picard at his best. Yes. That is Picard saying, you know, my tenure as a Starfleet officer means something. And I swore that I would uphold 
you know, the prime directive and the ideals of the Federation. He does all of that and more in this movie. And he's willing to give it all up because he believes so strongly in what they're doing is wrong. He is. Yes, absolutely. I think that that by far outshines the rest of the movie. Yeah. Um, I did think of something. Yeah. Uh, I think we briefly mentioned it. I think the Sona are a, a, are a, are not a strong enemy for a full length feature film, but F Murray Abraham is just awesome. There's so much more that I would like to have known about the character of Ruafo, um, after seeing this movie. Uh, he does such a great job of, of being vicious, but again, not over the top that we would expect for a, for a big bad villain. But he's, he really does a great job in what he's given with this role. I love the scene where he's so mad that he starts bleeding out of his forehead. <laughs> he's got a little bit of high blood pressure right there. <laughs> yeah. Um, the one scene that I didn't like is when he screams when, the, when they realize that the, they were in a holodeck and the collector was turned off. That scream was kind of like, eh, for me. It was kind of meh. Um, but other than that, I think he did a great job. Um, he does a great job with what he's given because there's not a lot of room for facial expressions with that makeup that, that he and the rest of the sonar are wearing, but he does a very good job of conveying his emotions through other ways than facial feature. Yeah, without a doubt. In fact, F. Murray Abraham is one of my other super positive notes for this movie. Um, he was the right choice Mm -hmm. for that part. I wish, like you said, they had provided a little more context, a little more fleshed out background for Rafa, other than uh, they're the same race, mm-hmm. and to find that out an hour and 20 minutes into the movie. Right. Um, in fact, this movie has such a slow burn, you don't find out what the conflict really is until 40 minutes into the movie, and you don't find out more about Rafa until even later. Right. Um, so, so thumbs up to him. I also thought the, very, the, the scene at the end was very touching when Picard set up for, I believe it was Golna, to meet his mother, that they hadn't seen each other in so long, and they just yeah. sit there, and, and she, he kind of melts into her arms. That was a very, very good scene. I, it, it, it meant a lot as to what I think both sides had gone through during this entire conflict, uh, if that's the word you can use, conflict. Um, but it was pretty cool. I liked it. Well, Okay. Well, in that case, let's talk about the central question. So, Dan, at the heart of this story, you and I have both observed that this film doesn't really play well as a film. So I think the question we really need to ask ourselves is would this story have better or been better served as an episode of the next generation and what might you have trimmed out of it to make it fit if that were the case? Well, I think we both agree that it would have been better served as a, as a TV episode. I think we agree that several of the scenes of them walking around, walking up into the Hills, trying to get to the mountains, fighting off the transporter inhibitor shooting machine creatures, um, would have cut out a lot of the movie probably would have had to come out, cut out um, some more village stuff maybe um, to, to get the time down. The only problem I have is if we were going to turn this into a TV episode is would we, would we be able to do so with the budget of a full-length feature 
or would we have to trim it back so much that what a cost of a regular TV episode would be? Because if we had to do that, I don't think it would work as a TV episode. Well, okay, that's fair then. I I can understand that. I've said for years that I think this would be a better two-part episode. Oh, two-part. I've I've thought about this more and more. I don't know if that's true because I don't think they could have told the story the same way for a lot of the reasons that you state. Um, and, and I think that's one of the, the things that I think makes people not like insurrection because it's not particularly strong and it's not particularly bad. Mm-hmm. I mean, because you and I watched this again this weekend. Right. And I think we were both a little surprised. I, I right? was very surprised. Yes. Yep. Do you like it more now than you did 18 years ago? Absolutely. Absolutely do. Um, well, actually, let me, let me step back and saying that. I, if I remember correctly, and I don't remember 18 years ago, believe me, I probably thought it was freaking awesome when I came out of the theater that first night. Over the last 18 years, as I've seen it, I have liked it less each time, thinking it was a weak storyline, thinking there wasn't good character development, and, and the vi- whole villain aspect, and the bad, and the Sona race, and so forth. But after having all of that not negativity, but downward slope of how I felt about the movie. And now looking at it through the eyes of discussing it on the podcast, I have a much greater respect for it than I did just a year ago. I have to say that when I saw this movie, when it opened, I didn't like it at all. Okay. I was extremely disappointed, you know, especially after First Contact, because First Contact was it. I mean, it was the best Trek film since you know, con at that point. And I was largely disappointed by insurrection. I was that's, like, meh. That's interesting to me because I've always felt that each iteration of, of a, of a Star Trek movie when it comes out, we're so excited when it first comes out and loves it. For, oh, here's a great example in a darkness. I think we both thought it was absolutely fantastic when it first came out. And our opinion of that has changed dramatically over the course of the last few years. It has. So it's interesting to me that you didn't like Insurrection when it first came out. That's very interesting. I thought it was, well, for many of the reasons that I stated tonight, I thought it was largely disappointing. I thought it was kind of slow. I thought there were elements of it that were just cheesy from the humor to the manual steering column to, you know, whatever. But, you know, when I, I watched it again this past weekend in preparation for this discussion, there is... There's a lot of Star Trek here, Dan. Yeah, there is. There is a and lot. And I'm going to, uh, this is the first time I'm actually saying this out loud, and it's still kind of a lot for me to you know, to believe, but there is more Star Trek in this movie than there are in most of the other ones that came before it, with the exception of Star Trek The Motion Picture. Wow. Okay. Think about that. Think about that. Because in most of the other movies, it's... Well, Earth's at risk. Well, that's true. With the, you, know, you can't really count the one with the whales because there's, there's, that's kind of Star Trek-y. But I think that Insurrection, you know, the crew of the Enterprise holds true to the ideals of the Federation and what the Federation stands for, I think, more than in any other movie. Yeah, that I agree with. I mean, you can, I mean Picard is so is so, uh, has such strong feelings for what he feels is right in the situation that you don't see that in other movies. I agree with that 100%. I still have a problem with the Federation Council saying that this was okay. Yeah, I wish that we got more 
of that, uh, if there was any fallout about that. Because at the end, all they say is that they're looking into the matter. Yeah. Did you ever read the novelization of this? I did not, actually. I was just, I had no idea whether it delved any deeper. I may have to check to see if there is a novelization. And if so, I might pick it up just to figure out if they answer that question. I'm fairly certain there is. I think there has been for every movie, okay. honestly. I'll definitely but, um uh, yeah, I I've gained a new respect for Star Trek Insurrection. It's not a perfect movie. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's far from it. There are things about this movie that are cringeworthy in in various elements, but overall, it's really not bad. Yeah, I, I agree with you. It isn't. It's I I found myself as I was watching it today, this morning, in preparation for today or for the podcast. I I was sitting there saying, "Wow." I'm really liking this. And then there would be a scene where I'm like, oh, God, like the boobs firming up. But then that kind of wipes away fast when you get to the general core of what this movie is about and those strong beliefs in protecting the Federation that Picard and his crew, when they disobey his orders because they believe in it too, that's another perfect example of why this one is such good Star Trek. You know, I have to say that scene where the crew confronts Picard in the captain's yacht Mm -hmm. and... Riker's like, uh-uh, no uniform, no orders. It's like you get the sense that you know they are signing on for this because they know it's wrong also. Saddle up, lock and load. Oh, see, I hate that line. So do I. But it's not as bad as to hell with our orders. Oh, that's true. That is true. <laughs> um, yeah, so I mean, that that's kind of how I feel. You, know, you said earlier that this is in the top two of, of next gen movies. So if you look at the four next gen movies, how would you stack rank them? Well, first contact is first. I mean, right. that's, I mean, that goes without being said, I think insurrection is second. I would have to choose. And I know this, you're going to probably disagree with this. I would choose generations third and nemesis fourth. There are so many things with nemesis that are wrong. I totally understand and agree with a lot of things that you said about generations, especially when we talked about it. But I would still pick Nemesis as the uh, worst of them. Yeah, I I probably would flip flop those two, mm-hmm. which is um, okay because there are some things to like about Nemesis. There are some things, but the the way that things the the, the ending is just so. But we're gonna have to do a whole Nemesis episode. Um, but just so, there's a lot of about that. A lot of things about that movie that are just so bad that I can enjoy Generations more. Well, you know, next year. With the 30th anniversary year of Next Gen, Mm -hmm. we're going to be doing a whole lot of Next Gen. So I suspect that we are going to touch upon Star Trek Nemesis at some point in 2017. I I know you're my Nemesis. Wow, really? Huh? No. (laughs) You know who else is your Nemesis, Dan? Oh, boy. That would be Fark of Five Year Mission. Love him. Uh, Really? Yes. Then why are you having to go to court? That, that has nothing to do with me. That's their decision. That's podcast court. It's you versus them. And by because them, I mean me and them. I think I'm going to court simply because I forgot to take the document with me. <laughs> <laughs> this wouldn't be happening if it wasn't for my clumsiness. <laughs> yes, October 29th, it will be uh, the, the, the hearing to end all hearings. Your blatant IP infringement of five-year mission songs. Ow! Um, in the court of 24 hours of GNT for the GNT show, we are super excited oh, yeah. to, uh, to attend and uh, to hang you out to dry, quite frankly. Thank you. I, I appreciate that, partner. <laughs> You're welcome, 
partner. <laughs> but, uh, since I am an honorary member of the band, I should say that uh, we can't thank my band enough. <laughs> for all of the music they provide to the Trek Geeks podcast. They let us use it every week, and it sounds fantastic. I, uh, I, I love their music. I was listening to it the other day. I listened to it actually quite a bit, mm. and you should too. So head on out to fiveyearmission.net. Download all of their albums. Really, just do it. Just, just You're going to thank me. You're going to thank Dan, even though he steals our stuff. You're going <laughs> to have a great time. You're going to sing along. You're going to listen to the albums over and over again. So please, just fiveyearmission.net. Downloads of music. Wow. You know, it kind of brings a tear to my eye. You know. You cry? Yeah. First wow. start of the right and straight on till morning. You know, we see the band heading off into the sunset and, and we think that it's the last we see of them and of him. But it isn't. You know, they're going to be back again and again and again. Of course, I'm talking about Fark Trek 5, the final Fark tier. Oh, my God. I just. What what is it with you anyway? Oh that no, that's Star Trek Six. Oh, sorry, my bad. <laughs> I don't know what I was thinking. So uh bad farkisms aside. Oof. Um we actually we should checkpoint right here. So we got a, a listener comment recently in a in a uh, iTunes review. It said they weren't sure what farkisms were. Yes. Um Fark is the drummer for the band Five Year Mission, and Dan comes up with a way to tribute to him every week, as he has this week. <laughs> and um, I don't know that I'd call it a tribute, but... Um, it is a tribute. Yeah. Oh, sure. I idolize the man. Hail to the king, baby. That's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, fiveyearmission.net. Go out and get yourself some great music. Um, of course, for more great discussion... Please head on over to the Tricorder Transmission and check out our friends there. They've got so many great shows, whether it's the original flagship show, or now they're talking about the Gold Key comics, or Shore Leave, or Atavacron. They really are putting out some great content, and we hope you'll check them, check them out. We hope you'll check them out like at that. the uh, TricorderTransmissions.com. And, of course, for all the latest news on everything Star Trek, please visit our good friends at uh, treknews.net. Dan, you want to tell us what's coming up next week? Next week's going to be fun, dude. I'm looking forward to next week. You know that we love Star Trek li- timelines, right? Oh, we do. L- let me say it again. Star Trek timelines. Don't want to screw up. Yeah. Disruptor Beam has done such a great job. And, you know, you have an entire Star Trek universe to play with, with countless characters to have as part of your crew. So it got us thinking. If we could choose characters from any series or timeline or universe, who would we choose for our ultimate crew? Ooh, ooh, ooh. Wow. wow. Sounds like you were stuck in some kind of temple, temporal anomaly. There. That was That's, pretty cool. I like that. Wow. <laughs> Can you go back there? Wow. <laughs> I guess so. so. Yes, next week, it's our ultimate crew. But uh, for now, of course, this has been episode 79 of the Trek Geeks podcast. We do hope you all live long and prosper. Federation support, Federation procedures, Federation rules. Look in the mirror, Admiral. The Federation is old. In the past 24 months, they've been challenged by every major power in the quadrant. The Borg, the Cardassians, the Dominion. They all smell the scent of coconut on the Federation. Coconut? That that took a turn. That's a good smell, though.
Bing bong. It's always good when Brady returns to the NFL, isn't it? <laughs> poor Cleveland Browns. <laughs> wow. No, it's it's just it was it's a good day. Anytime that New England wins and Denver loses, Denver losing is is good for the AFC Pats fans, but bad for our friends like Mumph and and Strand and and sketching Venus. But uh, I can't say I'm disappointed. Well, Mumphrey has no real allegiance to the Broncos. He doesn't have allegiance to anything. He's a Saints fan, and when I first met him, he was a Cowboys fan. (laughs) That's even better. (laughs) I'll tell you, he's always loved the Saints because it's his heritage. Yes. I buy that. Yes. But he was absolutely rooting for the Cowboys when I first met him. All right. That's hysterical. Bandwagon. (laughs) Yeah. What you drinking tonight? Oops. Whoa! I just almost spilled mine all over the place. I am drinking my last shipyard summer ale. Oh, saying goodbye to summer. Yeah. Bye summer. Bye summer. Summer. Summer frau. What are you drinking? I made myself. I tried these last night. I found a recipe for a pear martini. Okay. And it's. I had three last night. (laughs) (laughs) And I'm on my. I'm on my second one so far today, but I had one watching the game, so it was a while ago. No wonder you didn't want to record last night. <laughs> Thank you for joining us. This is a biggest little show. I tell you what, Insurrection of... is the best movie ever. <laughs> I want another drink. <laughs> but no, it's good. I actually, this is this is funny. I'm like, okay, where am I going to get pear puree unless I make it myself? And I you went to the Absolute website, Absolute Vodka website, and they said, check the baby food section. So sure enough, baby food section, pear puree, yummy. Interesting. It's, yeah. And it's, I've it got a sliced pear on the glass and everything. It's pretty cool. My Patriot's glass, I should say. Yeah, yeah. Is it unsweetened, the pear puree? Um, I'll have to check. I'll have to check the ingredients to see. Actually, the ingredients just say that it's uh, pears. So I would say that there's nothing else in there. I had no idea. Naturally sweet. It's pretty good. Not like you. That's for no, damn No, I'm sure. not sweet. I'm, I'm cantankerous. Uh, yes, you are. Good word there. Wow. You, you just got a new page of the day calendar or wow. something, didn't you? <laughs> I don't have those. It's all right here in my noggin. Uh, it's quickly... Quickly diminishing space. Yeah. Wow. Okay. I, I, I appreciate that. How was how was your day? Uh, my day was pretty good. We went to the movies. Mm. My wife re- read the uh, Miss Peregrine's Home for Peculiar Children book and loved it. Mm-hmm. And so she's been jazzed to see the movie for a while. And we saw the movie today, and uh, she thought it was terrible. <laughs> it's not one that I uh, really think I'll ever see. It's a. Uh, it, they apparently changed a, a lot of stuff, oh, and uh, yeah. it's unfortunate. I've never been a big Tim Burton fan. Well, I just there, don't like his films. You have to be like on something to really enjoy them, I think, because they are out there. I think the yes. only one that I really have any like for is The Nightmare Before Christmas. I don't even like that one. And that's borderline-like for me. Um, yeah. But all the other ones are just so out there. Like, Is it a Christmas movie or is it a Halloween movie? They, I'm so I know, confused. right? <laughs> You know what else I don't know about? Your face. Thank you. Okay. See, I don't even have to say it anymore. I um, you know, I, I hold up his Batman and his second Batman movie as oh, just movies that should never have been made, and that that's something that a lot of people think is unpopular for me to say, but was, yeah, they was, don't hold up. I forgot that the first one with Nicholson was was him. 
I yeah, actually they, I don't mind that one. The first and second one. Yeah. You go back and watch it now, it does not hold up. Not in the wake of um, Dark Knight. Batman Begins. Yeah. Yep. Huh. Not even close. Well, all right. I just know that he has to fix his hair and that his wife played an evil uh witch in Harry Potter. I do <laughs> love that Rene Aubergenois was dressed like Tim Burton in Batman Forever. Okay. I'll have to I've never seen that one, to be honest with you. He's got a it's the one with Val Kilmer. He's yeah. got a brief part right at the end where he plays a doctor at Arkham Asylum named Burton. Huh. That's interesting. And he looks just like Tim Burton. I'm sure if you Google it, you'll see it. Interesting. I will Google that. I will Google it. I'll check the Google. The Google machine? On the internets. The, the googly bits. <laughs> so I'm loving my friend Dan Kreger would say. Dan Kreger? Yes, he's the godfather of this here podcast. <laughs> is if that his new title? It is. <laughs> if it weren't for him, I would never have gotten into podcasting in the first place. Oh, okay. And you wouldn't be the first person to ever have a tweet read back by a sitting POTUS. Um, no, I probably still would. Okay. Fine then. Be that way. You big jerk. <laughs> Are you ready? I'm ready. Stop clicking. Sorry. 